You know when the clock strikes 12, that Midnight Mania Sports hosted by Austin Takuda and George Hathaway starts right now. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 27 of Midnight Mania Sports here on Power 88. Austin Takuda joined by George Hathaway once again, which should be an exciting episode here tonight, George. We finally have some NFL news. We got some NBA All-Star action that just happened, and spring training is well underway. So let's start things off by discussing the Trent Brown trade as the New England Patriots have reacquired that uh, beast of an offensive tackle, Trent Brown, from the Oakland Raiders, or the now Las Vegas mm-hmm. Raiders, in exchange for a pick swap, basically. Uh, Brown has agreed to a restructured contract that will see him get paid one year, $11 million, allow him to be a free agent after the year, after he had originally signed a four-year deal with Las Vegas, and that was just year one. So the Patriots get back one of the best tackles in the league when he's healthy, and now he's going to have to pay a play on a prove-it deal, where he's only under contract for one year, and he's going to have to try to earn another contract. Mm-hmm. Now he's 28 years old in his prime, and he's been tweeting all day how much he loves New England. So this is a big win for the Patriots to bring in Trent Brown. This is huge. And to me, I feel like this is setting up something bigger for the Patriots. Uh, we saw this last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how they really restructured that offensive line to acquire Tom Brady. Now, what is really the big picture here for the New England Patriots. What quarterback are they really trying to go for if they're acquiring such a great offensive uh, tackle like Trent Brown? So I think that, you know, could it be Cam Newton again? Uh, it is something to set up a better offensive line so they can get a better run game established or maybe some better protection for him? Or are they going to go bigger, uh, find somebody else in the draft? I mean, in the draft? And I've heard a lot of things about Jimmy G coming back. So honestly, like there's so many options here, but I'm really excited about this because the offensive line was something big that the Patriots really lacked last year, uh, and even the year before that. But it was definitely better than uh, Brady's last year in New England in like 2019, uh, early 2020. So I think that uh, the Patriots really got off here in a win. If you look at the big the, the trade. I mean, I think the Patriots really got the bigger part of it. I mean, even though they gave up a second-round draft pick, they got one in return and Trent Brown. I mean, that's that's a win for the Patriots. Yeah, so the, the Patriots here, um, with their offensive line, David Andrews is, a, is due to be a free mm-hmm. agent, but they're likely to cut Marcus Cannon with this move, which that money will go back towards David Andrews. And then you look at Joe Thune, who's going to be a free agent. They're not going to re-sign him. He was due $14 million last year on the franchise tag. He will not be brought back, and then that money goes to Trent Brown. So they're not spending any money, although they are giving Brown one year $11 million. They're going to pretty much even out the money as Canada's money goes to Andrews, and then Joe Tooney's money is just going over to Trent Brown. So now you're looking at offensive line with Trent Brown, Isaiah Wynn probably slides to guard, or Michael Onawenu, and then the other one will play right tackle. David Andrews will hopefully and likely be brought back to mm-hmm. be the center, and then Shaq Mason again at guard. They're more athletic now. Trent Brown's going to get out and block. Isaiah Wynn can probably move inside and be a better guard than he is a tackle. And then Onowainu gets a regular role as the right tackle. So the Patriots' offensive line now becomes a top-five offensive line in the league again. This is solid. And they're going to have a really good year uh, behind that offensive line, looking to establish that power run with Sony Michelle and Damian Harris again. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I'm excited for because I know the Packers, Aaron Jones, uh, they did not franchise time. They let him go, free agent. So, I mean, like there's a, some good running backs on the market, but for the Patriots, they don't need to be looking at running back. I think their running game's solid, and I know you weren't too thrilled. I think last season it was uh, I forgot who was was it uh, James White? Well, I, so I didn't like Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle, that was years. the one. Yeah, 
Um, but he actually, I thought when they put him and Harris together as a power run game and Michelle came back off that injury, he caught passes better and mm-hmm. they made a nice one-two punch. So I wouldn't be against Sony Michelle coming back okay. with Harris. I don't think he's a lead back, but the two of them together are effective. And they, I think behind that offensive line, you could have back to that Patriots, you know, mix and match with the running backs. And then Burkhead's probably going to be out for a while with the knee injury. Uh, James White, I don't think will be brought back. So you're probably looking for a pass catcher, but between Michelle and Harris, that one-two punch could be as good as they've had with running backs in the last decade. And that's going to be solid, too, because of that offensive line. I mean, the running back's only as good as their offensive line is, and if they once they establish that, I mean, I think this offensive line, like you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, Austin, is going to be top five in the NFL. And if you can at least have a, a good running game like they did last year at least, I mean, the Patriots are going to be looking good. Uh-huh. It's just now here we're going to have to think about is... You can't run the entire game. You have to look at the uh, the pass game, and that's going to be the bigger part of this Patriots offense because you're going to have to keep the defense on their heels at all times. So, you know, you're going to have Edelman probably coming back healthy, hopefully. Um, Jacoby Myers looking. I th- I think he would be a good uh, wide receiver one or two. But then who's going to be that other guy, though, that the Patriots are going to rely on? I mean, they, don't, they didn't have the best wide receiver core last Mm -hmm. season at all so they're gonna have to get somebody good either in the draft or they're gonna have to trade i think that's what they're gonna have to do really honestly is just trade they stefan gilmore you know could be you know used as that pawn right now to see who they could acquire for a really talented wide receiver yeah see there's some options in free agency too that people are overlooking kenny galladay's out there Mm -hmm. he has nearly the same statistics as calvin johnson did through both of their first 47 career games they're both over three 3200 yards um their catches are nearly identical galladay's a very solid player he's had some injuries but i don't think they pushed him to be on the field last year i think he could have played if he really wanted to and i think that the patriots he'd be the perfect guy because he can catch anything he can run routes really well, he's tall, and they can give him a contract rather than giving up assets to acquire him. Because I don't know that the trade market for receivers is super strong right now. There's not as much out there. Um, I honestly can't think of that many guys that are going to be moved. I mean, Julio Jones has been talked about the last what three about Odell? seasons. There's a chance, but, you know, we've talked about it last year. You talked mm-hmm. about it the year before. And are the Patriots going to take a chance on a guy who just tore his, uh, his ACL? Are they going to want to bring in a guy coming off a major injury? I certainly wouldn't. And me personally, I think OBJ is overrated. He, he has been ever since he had that one-handed catch. I mean, that's all he's known for. Other than that, uh, he's, been, throw, he's like been throwing hissy fits on the mm-hmm. sideline for the Giants, went to the, uh, Cleveland, did good. No, don't get me wrong. He did good in Cleveland. It was decent, but he did not live up to that expectation that everybody thought he was going to be doing. Well, I think part of it is Baker Mayfield's inability to get him the ball. And then you look at this year, they just ran the ball. All, all year, and then he got hurt. He was actually had a couple of really good games before the injury, and he was starting to get consistency. But Baker, I wouldn't put it on him. I think that he's still a dynamic talent. He's doing everything he can to get open. And he had Eli throwing the ball in New York, so clearly he was getting separation on routes, getting open, and making plays. Um, but it's, you know, all the receiver talk is great, but unless they have somebody to throw him the football, yeah, it's, it's true. not going to matter talk. who you put out there. So. Stidham's probably back again as your backup quarterback. Brian mm-hmm. Hoyer, I don't see us any room for. But then you're looking at that pick at 15, and you're wondering if Mac Jones is going to be the option, which I'm leaning towards yes. I think it will be Mac Jones that they take if he's there, mm-hmm. and which he probably should be. But also you hear that there's plan A, which is Jimmy G. You hear that there's interest in possibly Alex Smith or Sam Darnold. 
So nobody knows what the Patriots are going to do at quarterback. You know, there could be a Cam Newton reunion. I don't think anyone knows. Nobody knew that Newton was coming here. That was kind of just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's hard to speculate, but in terms of the receiver position, it, it's going to be tough to find somebody, you know, that can be dominant yeah. that, that's as good as the Julio Joneses of the league. There's not that much out there, and there's not that much available in the trade market. I don't think that the Patriots can get, you know, an, a wide receiver one if they don't look at Kenny Galladay, really. And, you know, Kenny Galladay played in Detroit with um, Matt Patricia mm-hmm. and even with Matthew Stafford, too. So do you think that if the Patriots were to sign him and we're like, hey, you know, we're going to give you a contract, what do you think? Do you think he's going to say no to New England the same way that Matthew Stafford said no be- because of Patricia? I don't think so. In Galladay's case, he's going to go where the money is. So if mm-hmm. you offer him a good contract money-wise, he's going to come here. Uh, the same goes for... A lot of guys, they're not going to care about the coaching situation. Le'Veon Bell went to the Jets because of the money. You know, these guys will sign contracts wherever they can get a payday. And I think he'll overlook the Patricia thing. Stafford, at this point in his career, is looking to win. And he's looking to put himself in a situation where he wants to be. And he has the option to, you know, to dictate that, to go to a, a franchise where he felt he had a better chance of winning. But if you're Galladay, you're taking the money at this point to try to secure yourself, you know, a, a long-term contract in the, in the NFL. Uh, I'm excited. I mean, if Galladay does come to New England, this it would be a decent. He would be wide receiver number one, I, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, uh, Edelman at two, probably. Edelman's more of like a if he's healthy and comes back. I mean, we, Edelman could also retire. He, could. he he was pretty banged up. I wouldn't be surprised. He's getting up there in age. But Myers is really a very good number three, number two. Um, I'd be more comfortable with him at the three, and then Edelman in the slot. Yeah. So I mean, I think the Patriots they would have a C. Kind of C grade wide receiver core. It wouldn't be like amazing, but it also wouldn't be you know terrible. It's kind of average. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Kenny Galladay would put it at a C plus. Mm-hmm. If anything. Well, speaking of C plus ratings, we've got to talk oh, about gosh. Dak Prescott. Oh, here we go. Dak Prescott getting paid like he's the second best quarterback in the NFL, getting that massive contract extension mm-hmm. from the Cowboys, coming off a broken leg, and coming off a few mediocre seasons where they haven't won anything. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you as a... I mean, you probably don't think he's overpaid, but you have to admit... Actually, wait, wait a second. He's, I, I do think he might be a little overpaid. Okay, that's, that's a good start. Now, Austin, I know you did not see this at all. You would never hear me say this, because I would always say give Dak his money, but that's when he's healthy. He is, mm-hmm. He's coming off a leg injury. And to be honest, is he worth, um, you know, that four-year deal, uh, $140 million? Mm, uh, No. <laughs> Maybe 120 I don't know. Maybe 110, but but especially after an injury like this, though. That's the thing. Yeah, it's if tough. he was healthy, I, I would say he deserved it because I wouldn't know. None of us would know what, you know, week six would look like when he was on the field. So I think after an injury like that, what he, you know, kind of went through, is gonna, I don't think it was well-deserved. And this is coming from me who praises Dak Prescott every single week. See, the thing is with Dak, too, is he has a good QBR in a few of his seasons. He has some good stats, but they're all garbage stats. He lost Mm-mm. the games he won. Mm-hmm. He beat this year. He beat the Falcons, mm. who were finished like <laughs> the fourth worst team in the league. He beat the Giants, who finished 6 and 10. Those are his only two wins. All the other games he lost, he lost to the Browns by 11. They smoked him. Mm. And he comes back and he's just firing passes against prevent defense. His stats, his yardage, were garbage time this year. They weren't impressive. All he did was throw. <sighs> in the third and fourth quarter, and it's a fact. You can go look up his passing stats by half. He was so bad the first half of these games that he kept them out of the game. 
And then, sure, everybody can shred a defense at the end of the fourth quarter when you're losing by three scores. Which I mean, the Falcons blew that game. I mean, wh- that was that game, yes. right, the, where the Falcons messed up on defense. He should have had one win. But to, to me, I believe that with Dak getting his money, it's going to spark Ezekiel Elliott. And that was a huge problem. I think week in and week out, Austin, we talked about this on our show, on the podcast at least, we weren't in the radio station, but like that Zeke played absolutely terrible every single week. Yeah, and the offensive line was a big issue too. So I, I assume in this draft, because they have the receivers, they have the running game, mm-hmm. you know, between Pollard and Zeke when they're healthy. The defense was pretty bad, but I think you have to go offensive line first because you can score, you know, you just got to protect your quarterback at this point, especially coming off a leg injury. You have Zach Martin, you have uh, Collins still in there, Tyron Smith was hurt all year. So you have to get somebody who can be consistent and can be a consistent guy like Tristan Wirth as a rookie this year for Tom Brady in the in the Bucks. You have to find something that you can plug in that offensive line and just let them protect Dak all year. Penny Sewell will not be available for them when at that point in the draft. They're going to have to you know play around and be smart with their picks. They could also I could see them trading back in this draft and taking a a tackle or a, an interior guy later in the first round, beginning of the second. I, I just they need some help. <laughs> I think the the offensive line is a good place to start. Yeah, I, I certainly agree that the offensive line is going to be huge because you got to protect Dak. I mean, one or two hits on him, especially low, it, it's going to re-aggravate you know, his leg injury, and then you're going to have bigger problems than you had before, and that would just be then a waste of money. Um, but for here's the thing, though. I don't think Carson Wentz is still getting paid more per year than Dak Prescott is. I mean, and it's Carson Wentz right. versus Dak Prescott, who's an elite quarterback in the NFL. And I honestly oh, think boy. that he, next year's the Cowboys' year, Austin. For what? To win eight games again? To win at least in the to win the NFC East. Oh, we're picking them now. I'll take the Washington Football Team. It's going to be the Dallas. We Cowboys. can we can write it down now. This is a little early for you to be making bold takes. Not too early. I mean, I'm just, I'm just confident in Dak Prescott. I'm excited. He got his money. He's walking in with bags full of money from oh, good. Jerry Jones. $160 and million for one playoff win. A lot of money. I mean, look at Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was phenomenal that year and got them to the point where they were. And then it was unfortunately tore his ACL, but he didn't get $160 million still. Still got a lot. Well, he had an MVP caliber year, which Dak has never had. This year. He played five It's going to be this year. He, well, it's nice to give him the money before the MVP year, which usually doesn't happen. I think that's going to spark him a little bit. It's or gonna... he's comfortable now and doesn't have to worry about playing hard or studying extra, which I think is more likely. He can retire at this point. He'll be set for life pretty much. Yeah, well, I, there, <laughs> there's there's a lot of issues with the Cowboys, as we mentioned, and I, I just think the Washington football team is going to win that division. So... I will pick it now. I will write it down now and sign it. And if you're going to pick the Cowboys, go ahead. Who's who's a football team's quarterback? Well, it doesn't matter. No, no. Who, who, who's their quarterback? Taylor Heineke at the moment is on a two-year, $8 yeah. million dollar deal. Yeah. But they mm-hmm. also, well, he's better than what the Cowboys had playing this season. The Washington football team won the division last year. They're getting better. So fill in the blank. They have a, they have a top five defense in the league, statistically. The Cowboys have a bottom five defense in the league, statistically. Mm-hmm. The Washington football team had a better run game statistically than... Oh, I mean, anybody has a better running game than Zeke. So everything's better with the football team. They don't have a better quarterback. Well, you don't know who they're going to have yet. I think Mike McCarthy is a better coach. Than who? 
Ron Rivera. That is just so far from true. Mike McCarthy this year almost got fired. Do you see the decisions he was making during the I'm game? Saying the like, I'm saying like, I'm saying like, you know, he, but look what he had to deal with. He had Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and managed to get himself fired. Ron Rivera <laughs> has never had a quarterback of that caliber. He got Cam Newton and a defense full of a bunch of B-plus guys to a Super Bowl against Peyton Manning and competed. That was a bad Super Bowl. He still got him there. Mike McCarthy had Aaron Rodgers and managed to only win one. I mean, that's, I think that goes down on Aaron Rodgers, if anything. Uh, yeah. hmm. I mean, that, I don't, I Bill don't Belichick so. had Cam Newton. I mean, yeah, but I don't know. That McCarthy was fired and Rivera resigned from Carolina. Well, honestly, if we're going to look at it this year, Mike McCarthy is going to be the better coach. Oh, He's going to have a healthy Dak Prescott Rivera playing made, for a full year. Rivera made the AFC, the uh, the NFC, cha- uh, not NFC championship, divisional round of the playoffs. They won the NFC East with the combination of Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke as their quarterbacks. They went seven and nine and won the division. They beat the undefeated Steelers to end their season. Uh, That's all. Well, I mean, you did call you did call that. I did. You did call Ron that Rivera upset. Knows how to coach, and he has a, an incredible defense, <sighs> and. He's done so many things throughout this year where they're, they're going to come back better. They can't be worse. They have Terry McLaurin, who's a phenomenal receiver. They have money to spend. I don't think they have good leadership. They have a phenomenal defense. Ryan Kerrigan's a great captain defensively, who's been in the league a while leading them. Offensively, they have one of the best veteran O-lines behind Brandon Sheriff, who's been leading that well, group. I mean, you said it yourself. Once the Cowboys get a solid offensive line in the draft, They'll they're be going to be set. They'll How be does, set. The Cowboys have no more leadership than the... The Washington football team does. Dak Prescott? How is he a leader? He's won one playoff game. He hasn't done anything. How many has Taylor Heineke won? But they have guys who have had better success. Ryan Kerrigan's in the league for a while getting double-digit sacks. You have guys on that defense that have played well together behind a coach who's gotten to a Super Bowl. and has. So is Mike McCarthy. But McCarthy got fired because he was horrible. He was carried by a quarterback. He's almost got fired last year for how bad of a job he went. Everybody was calling for him to be, be this, gone. But that's like well, Cowboys fans. Cowboys fans, NFL I think, are the worst Cowboys and executives fans. Executives were shocked that McCarthy still had a job. You see the special teams plays he was calling all year. He was calling I'm not, I'm not saying his fake reverses from their own twenty. I'm not saying his play calling was better, but I'm thinking like future. We're talking next year. He's going to be the better coach in the NFC East. Well, we'll have to see. Probably because he's <laughs> him and Ron Rivera are the only you know like two. Long term, I mean, the uh, well, do we Eagles coaches, have a recent one. Coaches' success, or how do you how do you determine somebody's a better coach by their team's record? I would say wins, yeah. Well, so then Marvin Vera's already ahead of him. He won seven last year, and Mike McCarthy didn't. Well, I, I guess, but we're talking next year. Well, <laughs> we'll have to see. That is a few months away, but we can jump over now to the NBA if we have any. Do have any more NFL thoughts before we wrap it up here on this section? How about them Cowboys? Okay. Well, we'll have to. We're see starting that up early. Oh boy! Well, it just leads for a uh, a greater disappointment when they don't they don't pull okay. through for you. But let's let's head over to the NBA and see if we can find some common ground on some players here. <laughs> <laughs> NBA. I already All-Star. know what the first thing's going to be. The NBA All Star Game. Yeah, uh, here we go. Happened on Sunday, and Team LeBron uh, beat Team Durant by twenty points, and yeah. an embarrassing game for Team uh, Durant's players. And Here Zion Williamson made some, made some headlines in that game there by missing four dunks. Uh-huh. Four dunks in four. the All-Star game mm-hmm. where he wasn't guarded. Mm-hmm. He seemed very nervous. Hey, I mean, okay, <laughs> listen. 
Zion, right, a few hours before game time says, actually, by the way, you're starting oh, in an all-star game against the best players in the league. He was going to play him at some point in the game anyway. I mean, he, he played like 12 minutes. I mean, he did not play a lot at all. Yeah, because he missed four dunks and was... Listen, I mean, I think that's going... That's I don't know. That was bad. <laughs> I, honestly, that was bad. Mm. He should... I mean... It was bad. I, I don't know how to defend him here. Like, you can't be missing open dunks. Yeah, I mean, you're Zion Williamson, play. who's known for throwing down some of the best dunks we've ever seen. But it's cool that he got to start the All-Star game. No, it certainly yeah, is. For his first All-Star team. game, I mean, of course, like, normal circumstances, I don't mm-hmm. think he would have. Especially no, this early. Right. I, and, I mean, if we're talking maybe two, three years down the road, yeah, he probably would be. But still, I think... The crazy thing is to me, though, is that it was Coach's decision to start Zion. I mean, Doc Rivers could have picked anybody on that team. Yeah. But he picked Zion and only played him 12 minutes. So, I mean, like, there's no point. I mean, why start him if he's playing bench minutes at this point? Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll ask you this. Did you enjoy the All-Star game? Because a lot of people were, weren't happy with it. But I actually I relatively enjoyed end, it. Because I th- you had a lot of uh, tricks and, you know, Damon Curry shooting threes from 50 and, feet. And that's but. the thing is we've never seen LeBron and Steph on the same team ever before. That was one of the most dominant games I've ever seen those two players play. We've seen them face off against each other, get into arguments, you know, go at each other in the NBA Finals. But playing alongside each other, that's, the the NBA would be broken if that was to ever happen in, you know, a regular season. So, to me, that was enjoyable to watch. And then on top of it, you had Damian Lillard, who behind Steph Curry, he's probably one of the most clutch shooters in the NBA this season, can't you know they call him logo lillard for a reason because that's where he shoots from and he's hitting them all too and exactly and, and along with steph curry there who's one of the greatest shoot, three-point shooters that ever i mean like those three together could play three on five basketball and still win a championship i believe it's just unbelievable how dominant it was, it was very one-sided mm-hmm. i mean like it was like in 2k where you kind of put up the sliders all the way to like 99 overall that's what it was happening i mean team durant don't get me wrong like it was fun watching Zion, Tatum, Kyrie, all three of them from Duke play with each other because like, it's like a big what if. Like, What if they all stayed and well, Kyrie would have been in the league, but like, what if Zion and Tatum were on the same team at Duke together? How dominant that would have been. But like, watching those three play was fun. If Kevin Durant was there, it would have been a more enjoyable game. would have been more competitive alongside with Embiid. I mean, yeah. if, we just, if everybody was there healthy, uh, not going to barbershops, <laughs> I think everything would have been... Really even would have been a very close game, but it's just unfair with Steph, uh, Lillard, and LeBron on the same team. It's just crazy to me. And it was a, fun. Another point of debate, I guess, that the, the Twitter world and the NBA universe has had is the dunk contest at halftime where mm. it was Cassius Stanley, Anthony Simons, and Obi Toppin in a three-person dunk contest at halftime. I thought, you know, I thought they got the winner right in Simons. I thought he deserved to win. I thought they got the final two right with Toppin and Simons, but Cassius Stanley, because Cassius Stanley's second dunk was abysmal. It wasn't right. impressive, and he, he kind of blew that, but his first dunk was phenomenal. I thought it deserved a 10. And it did. We've seen a lot of NBA players tweet about it because he, he went under the same leg he jumped off of. Which through, is you know, unheard of. Right. Like, it's, you know, that's very hard. Like You and I, we have like no athletic <laughs> skill to be able to no, do I mean, that. You could put it on a seven-foot hoop, and I'm not going through any leg. Never yeah, exactly. I jump on, under and so I think what he did, it was just so awkward to jump off that same leg and then put it underneath. Mm-hmm. Like, 
the hang time and everything like to do it, it was insane. And I don't think the judges, as great as those dunkers were back in their day, realized it because it's hard nowadays to really go above and beyond in a dunk contest. Right. Ever since Levine and uh, Aaron Gordon did it, and they just totally like broke the dunk con. Like it was just been, you, you can't do a dunk that they did because it's just going to be so repetitive. Like you can right. only go through the legs so many That's times. That's why Toppins from you know when he was got a running start and then went through the legs. That one wasn't that impressive. No, it wasn't. I mean, any, everybody does that now because right. it's just a normal dunk. And Zach did it from about the free throw line, and, and Toppin didn't. Right, and and that's the difference. And then you have someone like Simons. I thought his first dunk was weird because he jumped straight up and then just kind of threw the ball in when it was like, kind of like it was on that. It was like stuck. Yeah, it was on a mini hoop on the backboard, and he just kind of picked it up and threw it down. Like, cool. Like you can jump that high, but you know the dunk contest is for creativity and like what crazy dunks you can do. Right. And I think after Cassius Stanley, after they kind of shut him down like the judges did by giving him a 44. I think he like inside he's like they didn't like that yeah. even though it was that good. So whatever I do next is not going to impress them at all. So I think he kind of gave up on himself there. I mean as a rookie, th- these are all young guys mm-hmm. in here. And to me I think it'd be unfair if Zion was in the dunk contest. I'll tell you right now he would not miss four dunks. But he would <laughs> certainly like, the dunk contest would just be, I think, unfair if Zion was there. But for me, it was enjoyable to watch this year. But I, I, I didn't think it lived up to the hype that I thought it was going to be. I thought the judges really kind of killed the vibe. That's fair. You know, I, I thought it was really boring overall because it's hard because, you know, I mean, we saw Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, as you mentioned, a few years ago. And ever since then, it's been hard to top that. You know, it's hard to match how good they were in that dunk contest and then especially this year where it felt rushed and it was just mm-hmm. the three of them and as soon as they gave Stanley that 44 I think everybody just lost interest they were like they yeah. were just so confused because um it, it shouldn't have been a 44 especially when you slow it down and watch it and Kenny Smith was absolutely perplexed as to how he didn't get a 10 on that one yeah and Kenny kept saying 10s after every dunk yeah, so Kenny thought everything was a 10 yeah, and I have no <laughs> idea how he thought that um, every, every dunk that's a 10 that's a 10. Yeah. Yeah, and then Simon's, when he tried to kiss the rim or whatever, mm-hmm. I was like, it's all right. It kind of reminded me of, um, who's that, Rashad Wallace who blew up the candle? I forgot who blew up the uh, the cupcake. Was it uh, Gerald Green, maybe? Maybe. I, 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 remember. I think it was, it was a little bit before us. I think it was Gerald Green, but yeah. I have to check. But it was like something similar to that, and I was like, all right, that, you know, wasn't really that impressive, I thought, for his yeah, final his dunk. His that he got on it was cool because, you know, a guy putting their – Mouth essentially at the same level as the rim is impressive, but um, I, I don't know. It was just kind of you kind of knew at that point he was going to win based on the scores and you know top and second dunk kind of being. How do you feel like with players bringing out like old jerseys? I don't know. Whoa, it doesn't do anything for me. Did Simon's like bring out? A, he brought a Vince Carter one or something like that out. Was it a, Carter it's, or uh, McGrady? McGrady, yeah. Yeah, was it McGrady? I mean, it doesn't really add anything to me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you're paying. Respect to the guy, or you know, oh, let's do a good dunk. Yeah, it doesn't really do much for me. It's been overdone at this point. A lot of guys have done it. Um, the jumping over two guys thing has been done before. And, and when Obi Toppin did that, I felt like he pushed off. Well, I th- was yeah, it was, was it he because he didn't clear that. He got himself over the two of them, but he had his hand on Randall or his dad's shoulder. I can't remember which one mm-hmm. it was Randall. But I mean, it's hard to jump over him without doing that. But. It's just not that impressive at this point. You know, Blake Griffin jumping over a car was cool. 
That was cool. That hadn't been done, so you know maybe it has, hasn't been done since. Right, you had guys jump over a motorcycle, which isn't that crazy, but you yeah. know, bring out like a jeep or something. <laughs> jump, yeah. jump over a jeep if you really want to get crazy and jump over stuff. But I just think it's going to be getting bigger. I feel like the dunk contest. Well, I mean, even though like I think the dunks itself are going to be lame because it's going to be like the same dunk every year. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, between the legs, everyone's going to try to do a free throw line, uh, and other than that, just like. You know, like, where's, like, something cool? Like, I need something big. Yeah. Like, all right, cool. You can jump, you know, your head over the rim. Like, that's awesome. Everyone's vertical is getting higher nowadays. But I want to see something spectacular. And I thought with Cassius Stanley's, that was really good. And then, I mean, we saw, what was it, Aaron Gordon jump, jump over a mascot on a hoverboard. Mm-hmm. Spinning, but that's cool. Yeah. I mean, like, that's never happened ever before, I don't think. And... That was fun to watch, and I think that was, it's it's hard to top that kind of dunk contest, really. Yeah, I just think at this point, there's not as much you can do. I mean, everything's been done. The guys just keep getting more athletic, but I mean, maybe you change the format or something. That's the only way I can think of it being more exciting. I mean, the MLB with their home run derby have changed the format, you know, making it head-to-head, which was cool. I mean, maybe do some kind of tournament. I don't know, but I think the dunk contest at this point is just kind of stagnant, and there's not... You know, it's not that exciting anymore. You know, you're not, it I'm, wasn't. Not, I'm not excited to watch it. It's just kind of, oh, it's on, you know. And it was during halftime. It was, like, right. everything was pushed into one day. Like, Three-point contest. Then you had the skills challenge. Everything was in one day of basketball. It's like they kind of rented out, like, a Marriott guest room or a conference room for, like, the day. And they're like, all right, you know, here's the times you have the arena to. So just try to hurry everything up. And I felt like the dunk contest especially was rough, was rushed. Uh, halftime of a show, three players, you got like 20 minutes, you, you know what I mean, like for halftime. So, and there's like nobody there. You know, usually, when you have the crowd, like the players would be sitting on the uh, court side, all their phones would be out. I remember my favorite like memory of like watching that is like Shaq with his flip phone. He's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, like did you see that? I, and it's like those type of things right. when you have like that crowd reaction there. Especially with nobody there and you're just kind of doing a dunk between the legs and nobody's like, oh my goodness, did you just see that? And like everyone's uh, clapping, like ooing, eyeing. There's like none of that. So I feel like, you know, dunks like that, you also feed off the energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think it's, it's going to be hard for it to get better and get back to where it was at one point. And I don't know if it will happen. But, you know, that's something to keep in mind next year when hopefully we can have fans back mm-hmm. in stadiums and get the atmosphere back. But... Moving on a little bit here from away from the All-Star game, and we'll talk about Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin is joining the Brooklyn Nets, adding another former All-Star to their lineup and back again with DeAndre Jordan. You know, Lob mm. City, except it's five years later and neither of them can jump. And they don't have CP3 throwing so, them the lobs. <laughs> uh, I don't think this move puts Brooklyn over the top in any way. No. Blake isn't a good defender at this point. He's not really good at anything. He's, he's okay at a few different things, right? He's a decent passer can get you five rebounds, can score 10, but he's not a superstar. He's not an all-star, and I think this move doesn't really do much for them. You know, it's just a big name. So I'm not really that impressed by it, and I think I I don't think the Nets are any better with Blake than they were without him. I mean, sure, it takes away some minutes from Nico Claxton maybe or or Torian Prince or whoever it might be, or not Prince, he was moved, but, you know, those guys kind of who don't play a ton of minutes, it, it, it takes some minutes from them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really make them a better basketball team, I don't think. I think it'll help them depth-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just having Blake Griffin there. But it's also another big. And uh, the... Uh, but not like that kind of it's big. It's a big who can't defend the paint. But, right. 
uh, kind of like Daniel Tice, right? In a way, yeah, that's a good comparison. I mean, I think that would be an insult to Blake Griffin because, <laughs> well, or a compliment towards Daniel Tice. Well, it, Tice is a better three-point shooter this year, but I think otherwise Blake is better. So, depends on which way you way you twist it. It's an insult to both of them. I mean, this year, not we're not talking career-wise, yeah, career-wise, but this this yeah. season especially, this I think season, that's a good I'll, comparison. I'll probably take Tice, honestly. I think I th- I would too. But I think for Blake Griffin, I don't know. Have you seen that video of him working out with the trainer in Brooklyn? No. I was like doing some dunks and stuff. So He's finally dunked. He hasn't yeah. dunked in a game since 2019. Yeah, so, I mean, that's in-game. Mm. But, I mean, I guess practicing was different. But still, I, I everyone's saying that he didn't really try that hard or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> listen, he wants to go win a ring. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those players that I don't think he'd make the Hall of Fame if he didn't have one. I uh, see. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer either way. He's had too many injuries and not he enough. Was, if we're, if we're talking career. 2015 and he retired then, maybe well, he yeah, would have been. Did get in off you know nine seasons, so it is possible. I mean, I think in the NBA it's the easiest sport to get in the Hall of Fame. They they let anybody in. NFL, yeah, and NBA is pretty easy. The NFL is kind of similar. I mean, is it is? You had guys who had five dominant seasons get in, so. I, mean, the rest I wouldn't be surprised if Tim seven. Tebow is somewhere in like the Hall of Fame oh, for no. his <laughs> few good seasons in Denver. But I, the MLB certainly has the hardest sport to get in the Hall right. of Fame because you have people. Yeah, they, exactly. They let less people in than you know they're supposed to. And I think, I mean, yeah, you could make a case for Blake. I mean, he's you could, but time All Star, twenty one points a game in his career, nine rebounds, four assists. Not terrible. I mean, that's that's like an All Star level. Uh, career-wise, yeah. uh, and but he's missing that you know the ten All-Star games like mm-hmm. Melo and Dirk and Wade and the greats have, and he's also missing that championship. But the difference too between him and like Carmelo, who both don't have a championship, is Melo's still going, still averaging fifteen a game. And, and Melo's like what? He's like top twenty in the all-time points scored. Yeah, he's in the NBA history. Blake, so I mean, that's gonna of course put him in there. Right, and I think Blake is still, you know, if he can get a ring here, and then you know make himself valuable as a six man for a couple of years and be a guy who can defend well or, you know, kind of be like a, a Marcus Smart in a way, but not, you know, not the level of Smart's defense, but be a kind of a, a glue guy who can mm-hmm. pass a little bit, score, rebound, you know, that would be nice. It's going to be fun to see because, like, the connection with Jordan and Griffin, it, I mean, that's that was unreal in L.A. Mm-hmm. And here we are in Brooklyn. It's, it's going to be very similar, I feel like. Kyrie Irving, CP3, both with, uh, DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, you could probably see some similarities there with Lob City and what they have now in Brooklyn. I think that would be kind of fun to watch. It would be entertaining, but it's not the same thing. These guys are a lot older. I mean, Kyrie's, you know, and has been here for a while as well. So I think that it's not going to be as much fun to watch, but it's not going to help them. It's not like I'm going to be like, oh, cool. Like now the Nets are going to certainly win the NBA Finals because of Blake Griffin, but it's just like, all right, maybe you can make it more interesting in a seven-game series, mm-hmm. but it's not going to really solidify that they're going to be NBA champions at the end of the season. Yeah, the, the Nets are still probably the best team on paper in the East, given the fact they have three MVP candidates on their roster, which no other team can say. Um, but I still don't know if that they're defensively the best team in the playoffs when it comes down to it. Uh, defensively, they're not good, but you know I, I think their defense hurts them enough where they're not the best team. In the, in the East in the playoffs, the Sixers are going to get tired. But I think there's a team, you know, in Indiana, a Miami, a Boston, one of those teams that gets healthy 
and gets the momentum going and is a team who can beat Brooklyn. But the Celtics still, you know, they're waiting for Marcus Smart to come back. They've struggled. They did win, go on a nice little winning streak at the, at the they did. Um, prior to the All-Star break. They'll be back in action this week. But I'm still not convinced that they have enough in them. But I also don't think they're going to use a trade exception this season. I think they're going to use it in the offseason. So for Celtics fans who think help is on the way, I don't think it is. <laughs> I saw reports um, that they were going to, you know, they were looking into some players. I mean, this is, of course, all reports. Mm. And are we positive that this is going to happen? No, not at all. Because I honestly don't think Danny Ainge is going to do anything about right. that. And the Celtics, they just need to get healthy again because we saw this exact same team, but now they added on Tristan Thompson, a better you know, forward center that they can rely on. Um, Robert Williams, playing really good. I like Rob. He's, he's earned himself more minutes now after this mm-hmm. All-Star break, I think. I think he's a guy that you can rely on down the stretch. They're playing him when it matters, too. So I think like, they certainly improved from last year. Yeah, their core is the same. They got rid of Gordon Hayward. That was kind of slowing them down a little bit. And, you know, I think this team can certainly win as long as they're healthy. And I don't know. It's just going to be fun to watch Celtics, especially second half of the season. This is where the comeback starts for them here um, uh, in Boston because the Celtics... They need this. This is going to prove a lot to the uh, the team and the organization, even the fans as well. Uh, Brad Stevens, is it? Can he still stay on the team? I think. I mean, do, do you see him lasting another season? I do. I think the Celtics. You know, they have a problem getting rid of coaches. They like to hang on to guys for a while, and I think uh, Brad can make his case for. Well, this is the roster I was given. You know, these guys are not capable role players. And then Danny Ainge can make the case of, well, he has two superstars. How is he not making it work? So I, I don't know that either one of them is going to go. I think if they go, both of them should go at the same time, Ainge and Stevens. But I think Brad has this year and full next year before they get rid of him. If you know things don't go well, if he doesn't make the finals, um, I give it to the end of next season before Brad is actually on the hot seat because I don't think Wick and the ownership group is interested in firing him at this moment. Yeah, I don't think he would be fired at the end of this season. I think give it another, mm-hmm. and then he probably would be if they don't win anything. Because Danny Ainge is pretty much spoon feeding him with all these great players, and it's just the fact that they can't execute on it that the Celtics now are should be worried about their play style. Is it really working? You know, they it, it's gotten them this far, but it, what's going to really put them over the top? Like, mm-hmm. what's going to be that play? or that player that is going to push them above and beyond to get them over that hump of the Eastern Conference Finals. It's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the NBA season you know, uh, pans out after the All-Star break is over in just a couple of days, but we will keep you updated on that here on Midnight Mania Sports. And while we have a couple minutes left here on Power 88, we'll transition over to spring training baseball as that continues to roll on and approach opening day at the 1st of April for many teams. And uh, some free agent news is Jake Odorizzi, one of the top free agent pitchers in the market, has finally signed a deal, uh, a two-year deal with a player option to the Houston Astros, a team that is very good at developing its pitchers and making those veterans valuable. They turned around the career of Charlie Morton down there in Houston. Uh, Justin Verlander's had late success with that team. Garrett Cole went on to uh, dominate in Houston. 
Um, and so they, there's a good chance here for Oda Rizzi to prove that he's, a, that he's a solid rotation arm because he had a, one good year in Minnesota, was shaky in Tampa Bay, and was hurt last year. So this is a big signing for the Astros to get some uh, somebody to solidify the middle of that rotation. It's going to be interesting with the Astros this season, I think. I mean, they made it to uh, the postseason last year, uh, and of course they didn't you know, go far. But still, I think that the Astros, they can still compete. I mean, even though everybody you know, hates on them for you know, their sign-stealing and everything that's been going on within their organization, that they're still a solid team. There's nothing wrong with them at all. I think it's just that a lot of hatred is going towards mm-hmm. them and everyone wants to see them kind of fall. But that's not happening at all for them. Yeah, I think this is a big year for this team because they snuck in towards the playoffs last season. And they're coming back this year. But Jose Altuve is not going to bat 230 again. Alex Bregman's not going to struggle as bad. They're going to, they have, you know, the, the shame tour is over essentially. But now they have to deal with fans in opposing ballparks. Every, every ballpark is going to have fans in it when they go on the road. Although it is a small amount, they are going to hear boos. They are going to get, you know, heckled. They're going to get taunted. So they're going to have to deal with that. I'm not convinced that their road stats are going to be good at all. They might be a really bad road team this year having to go deal with fans. But I think the Astros are a team who can win 85 to 90 games and be a solid team who gets into the playoffs. And in other MLB news, we have Zach Britton of the Yankees undergoing arthroscopic surgery to move a bone chip from his left elbow. So one of the best Yankee relievers is now going to be out until sometime in May, maybe June. That's a big hit for that Yankee bullpen who looks to really help solidify the Yankees' team as a whole because their rotation is going to be a little shaky. They have a solid lineup, but that bullpen is going to be a big part of the Yankees. And without Britain, they they have a major hole to fill. And for the Yankees, they have not been healthy uh, for like the last three, four years. Like fully healthy starting the season off or even finishing the season, they have not been healthy. And this is really the big parts of why they haven't had so much success the last few years is because of their health and how you know a lot of their players that they're acquiring end up not playing the full season because of injuries. I mean, we saw that with John Carl Stanton, Aaron Judge, and those guys have been hurt. And for the Yankees, if they want to go deep in the, in the postseason, they're going to have to stay healthy, and this is not a good sign at all for that to happen. And a former Yankee reliever, Adam Onovino, who is on the Red Sox, is making his spring debut this week. So that should be uh, interesting to see because Onovino is a guy who had a rough year last year but was one of the best right-handed relievers out of the bullpen. A guy with a nasty slider. He says that he could strike out Babe Ruth. He says he can strike out Ted Williams. <laughs> Very confident in his slider, uh, and it's one of the best in baseball. So the Red Sox will get to see what he has left in the tank uh, shortly this week at in spring training. And, uh, George, one more MLB headline to uh, finish off here on Midnight Mania Sports. We had the Philadelphia Phillies are underway in spring training, and I don't know if this is a headline just for the Phillies, but... I think I've seen it throughout Twitter, is MLB can't figure out a way to broadcast all of its spring training games for some reason. You know, half the games every day aren't on TV. They're not on radio. So that's creating a real problem for the league. And I think it's it's a missed opportunity to gain an audience. And I think next spring they have to figure out a way to get every team on the radio or on at least the TV or on at least MLB stream. Because you have a team like the Phillies who are on once a week and I want to watch a lot of their games. I mean, according to their Twitter... They're going to be back on TV tomorrow. That'd so be great. Today they had a one camera set up behind home plate with no commentary and nice. it didn't move. So that nice. was no, it was horrible. I couldn't even tell who was hitting. 
Nice. <laughs> but I, I would have instantly turned that off. Right? I mean, NBA preseason's got like a full setup. I know it's only four or five games, but same thing with the NFL preseason. Um, it's just a missed opportunity for the MLB, and I think they need to start broadcasting. And this is how they're going to get better, like, more people to watch the sport. I mean, mm-hmm. as a sport that has viewership that's kind of like declined, I feel like that this would be a great opportunity because you look at all the other major sports in America is that mm-hmm. the preseason, which doesn't count, the stars don't play, is still getting national television uh, you know, ratings yeah. and uh, viewerships. In the, the NBA, you got ESPN, you know, summer league basketball on ESPN with, you know, some rookie we're never going to hear about um, in a few weeks because he's not going to play. Same thing with the NFL. Who wants to watch Jared Stidham on CBS, uh, you know, sitting there, you know, throwing interceptions left and right? Like, I don't want to. I mean, watching spring training baseball, you can see pe- prospects who are going to play well. Who's going to get that final pitching position and I know that helped especially with the Phillies and you can see that happening and then you can kind of you know make a decision for yourself like oh wow that guy's going to be good or he's not going to be good and it's just those types of things uh, for baseball that can certainly help out the sport well they got a, a long way to go in terms of you know bringing it back to America's pastime because I think football has captured that term and one way to start is to continue with the runner on second base and extra innings. I like the rule. Mm-hmm. I think they need a universal DH, which they don't have this season. The NL is back to pitchers hitting. So I think the baseball's got to start moving in the right direction and to get, to get more viewers and get a younger audience. And that's the whole point, I think, for baseball is just how can they make it more modern and faster for the younger kids? Because I, I don't know. You look at all these things that are going on in like social media and everything like that like attention span for younger kids is like eight seconds and they have to go to like watch something else mm-hmm. and for baseball it takes about eight minutes for one pitch to happen like no kid's gonna want to sit through that and just be like all right i'm really into this it's, it's gonna have to you know be a lot faster but that's also the sport and that's how it's played absolutely it's, it's a different game than the other fast moving sports but George, any final thoughts before we wrap things up here on Season 2, Episode 27 of Midnight Mania Sports? I'm just really looking forward to, you know, kind of going back to earlier on our debate. <laughs> Dak Prescott, I'm looking forward to seeing him live up to the money, earns every single cent that he, uh, most of it, but he he deserves it. So that's all I got to say. Well, Go Cowboys. Well, a good year for the Washington football team. I have them winning the the NFC East again, so we'll have to keep close tabs mm. on that. Well, that's all for this edition of Midnight Mania Sports here on Power 88. For George Hathaway, I'm Austin Nakuda. Make sure you follow us on all social medias at Midmania Sports. Thank you for watching, and have a great night.